This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus, ASSP's premier hybrid education event. Join us for Safety Focus September 18th through the 22nd in Arlington, Virginia, and online to gain in-depth training on important safety topics and collaborate with expert instructors and fellow safety professionals. Learn more and register at safetyfocus.assp.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you so much for joining us today for an OSHA update. Uh, a couple recent developments from OSHA we'll be discussing on today's show, and uh, the first of which is proposed rulemaking for PPE and construction. Joining me today to uh, discuss that, I'm very excited to welcome Scott Ketchum, Safety Director, OSHA Directorate of Construction. Uh, Scott, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Scott. I'm glad to be here. Excited for the conversation. Now, before we uh, jump into the uh, proposed rulemaking itself, I thought we could start by kind of giving an overview, you know, of why proper fit of PPE is so important for construction workers. I'll start out by saying that having been in the safety field for over 30 years, I've seen plenty of examples of where PPE was not either correctly used or did not fit or was not available. So to put it into the uh, proper perspective for this rule, why is it so important for it to fit workers? Well, PPE must fit properly in order for it to provide adequate protection to employees. If PPE, personal protective equipment, doesn't fit properly, it can make the difference between an employee being safely protected or it dangerously exposed to a hazard. In some cases, ill-fitting PPE or PPE that doesn't fit may not protect an employee at all. And in other cases, it may present additional hazards to that employee and to employees who may work around them. For example, sleeves of protective clothing that are too long or gloves that do not fit properly may make it difficult to use tools or control equipment, putting that worker or other workers at risk for exposure to hazards. The legs of protective garments that are too long could cause tripping hazards and impact others working near the worker with improperly fitting PPE. This issue of improperly fitting PPE, which this rule is going to address, is particularly important for smaller construction workers, people of different size, including women, who may not be able to use standard size PPE. Fit problems can also affect larger workers, especially with regards to the size of certain harnesses and other personal protective equipment. So it's important for PPE to fit. Personal protective equipment is, is a, a first line of protection and for it to fit, to protect the employee is, is very important, important to the agency and important to workers as well. Absolutely. It's so, so important for, uh, for everybody out there to remember. Now, going into the, the rulemaking itself, I wonder if you kind of give an overview of where things currently stand as far as PPE and construction with OSHA and you know, what this rulemaking would mean for PPE and construction moving forward. Sure, I appreciate it. We currently have requirements for having PPE in the workplace, and we also have requirements about the testing, reliability, and adequacy, and the safe design of personal protective equipment. And this particular standard addresses proper fit because it's not explicit in our standards as they exist right now. However, 
they are explicit in general industry and maritime standards of, of OSHA's standards. So in approximately uh, 12 years ago, OSHA passed rules within the general industry and maritime standards that specifically required PPE must fit the worker. And for, for some reason at the time, I would say that OSHA was engaged, uh, construction was engaged in the subpart CC of the crane standard. We didn't get the same standard into construction. So this is basically making it equal across all industries something that we've been working on for quite some time. We're proposing this rule to make our requirements consistent across the industries and to make it clear in the case there is any confusion that PPE used in the construction industry must fit properly. It makes sense, you know, uh, having having things, you know, consistent across all industries. And, you know, thinking about our listeners, the safety professionals out there working with you know, the, those in construction, you know, how can, can they, and really anybody involved in construction, you know, help ensure that, you know, PPE is fitting properly, you know, for every worker on their job site. As, as I said before, properly uh, fitting PPE protects workers from hazards while not creating any additional hazards, but where safety professionals can help out, they can ensure that PPE is actually being used and is appropriate for their tasks being performed. And, we know, uh, as I opened with here, that I said from my experience, um, there's been cases where ill-fitting PPE or PPE is not present. Obviously, this is a, a certainly a good role for frontline supervisors, but the safety professional is there to make sure that it is appropriate and being used for the appropriate tasks. And the thing that a safety professional can do, uh, from my experience, is listening to workers about their concerns regarding PPE can also address issues that they have regarding fit. So when you're out there doing your uh, surveillance of work activities, ask people how their PPE is fitting and, and, you know, is it comfortable? Does it do what it's designed to do? Those kind of things help um, get the message across that uh, fit, design, and, and use all have importance. And I, I think that really is important for us as safety professionals to spread to the industry. That surveillance of, of work activities, as you mentioned, you know, what kind of, you know, information can, can that provide and seeing, you know, the kind of equipment that each worker needs and, you know, making sure that it fits properly? Yeah, uh, from, from my experience, proper surveillance of the work activity, whether it be the foreman or the frontline supervision, which we rely on to, to do these types of activities, but to the safety professional it's a viewpoint that you get when you're looking through a workplace to make sure that it's being used properly and at, at the times that it's needed. So I, I think surveillance in the workplace is important from a viewpoint of whether it be actual visual eyes on or actually interviewing workers to determine how often they wear the PPE and are, are, is this an example of how they wear it during the normal work routine and normal work day? And I think that surveillance is important, whether it be the safety professional or it be the frontline management. But I certainly think safety professionals certainly have a role in making sure as part of our surveillance, we interview staff and employees to make sure that it's being used at the right times and it's adequate to protect the employees as well as fitting them. Absolutely. Now, um, for, for those who might be uh, interested in uh, submitting comments or, or hearing uh, requests on the proposed rulemaking, how can they do that? How can people get involved? Well, we currently have the proposal out for comment. Um, it is a notice of proposed rulemaking right now. 
and anyone, um, stakeholders, professionals, uh, public citizens can visit www.regulations.gov and use a keyword search, personal protective equipment and construction to find the docket for the proposed rule where they can follow the instructions for leaving comments. And it's open to the public and we're looking forward to receiving uh, robust comments on how we can improve this rule as it moves towards being finalized. Sounds good. Yeah, definitely encourage our listeners out there to, to take advantage of that opportunity and let their uh, let their voices be heard. Uh, anything else you'd like to add about PPE and construction or uh, this proposed rule and what it's going to mean for the industry? Yeah, I, I would say that um, having been a safety professional in both uh, construction and general industry and maritime for, like I said, over 30 years, uh, for the construction industry, I think a lot of adjustments have been made regarding personal protective equipment. And I, I would like to add that as far as the percentage of uh, women who are now coming into the industry as well is increasing as that number approaches uh, 10% and goes above that. It's good to see the industry that is manufacturing personal protective equipment to make adjustments to that. And it's necessary and it's needed. And we're glad to see that uh, this standard brings some equity in that, hopefully to the manufacturing side, so that we see much more different sizing out there for different PPE, especially for women. Talking about manufacturers there, I wonder the, the relationship between, you know, employers, safety professionals and manufacturers and you know, how that plays into all this and how you'd encourage, you know, safety professionals, employers to work with their manufacturers to ensure that their workers are getting the PPE they need to help keep them safe. Yeah, I, I think the, the frontline supervisor and the safety management in companies should be looking. I know from my experience, companies that have sophisticated safety and health management systems are looking at the manufacturing safety stamps for uh, the standards that uh, PPE are built upon. And so I think it's important that you understand, you know, not all gloves are created equal. You know, they protect you against some things, but you need to be, if you're looking for a particular hazard, you need to make sure that it was designed to protect you against that hazard. So looking at the design standards, uh, whether it be under the safety and health management system, or working with your local providers of uh, personal protective equipment. There are many, many, many professional companies that help the employers out there provide the right equipment at the right time for the right purposes. And I, I, I would say that it's important that uh, they have a viewpoint or actually have some idea of what types of hazards are in that workplace to make sure they're, they're giving you the right uh, PPE to protect workers. And as I said before, not all gloves are, are designed to protect against all hazards. Respirators protect you against different hazards. Um, so it's important that the manufacturers and their uh, merchandisers who sell this equipment match it up with you so that you're providing the right PPP as well as PPE that fits the employee. Right. And I'm sure that kind of goes back to your earlier point about, you know, surveilling the the job site to see, you know, the different kinds of hazards each of your workers are facing. So you know what kind of PPE they need to help protect them from those hazards. Absolutely. Very important. Thank you so much again, Scott, for coming on. This is uh, such an important issue, as, as you've noted, to make sure that uh, every worker on your job site has the, the PPE they need to make sure they can do their job safely and that it, that it fits properly so that uh, they can uh, go home uh, safely at the end of the day. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on. 
Scott, I appreciate it. And I'm appreciative of our um, partnership that we have with the ASSP. I want to say that we've been partners for quite some time and we really enjoy working together. Thank you very much. And now for part two of our OSHA update, I'm very happy to welcome Leanne Jillings, the Director of Technical Support and Emergency Management for OSHA, to discuss recent developments related to injury and illness data reporting for high hazard industries. Leanne, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to speak to you and, and your organization's members today. Appreciate you coming on. Now, uh, I touched on it just a little bit there in the intro, but we're, we're talking about new developments related to uh, OSHA injury and illness data reporting for high hazard industries. So I thought we could kind of start just kind of giving listeners, you know, an overview of, of this new rule. Yeah, sure. As, um, as you're probably aware, on July 21st, OSHA published a final rule, improved tracking of workplace injuries and illnesses in the workplace. And the new rule has some particular requirements related to establishments with 100 or more employees and specific high hazard industries are now going to be required to electronically submit annually more detailed information on injuries and illnesses and their places of business. In addition, establishments are also going to be required to submit information from their OSHA record-keeping forms that will have their company's legal names for those establishments that are already required to submit data to OSHA. Okay. Now, uh, before we get into the details of the rule, you know, what, what's the overall goal of this new rulemaking? You know, what, what is OSHA looking to accomplish? Yeah, OSHA is looking for this rule to provide greater understanding of what is going on in the workplaces to help us as we do our internal um, operations, as well as to help inform employers, employees, stakeholders, researchers, based on the information that we will be posting some of it publicly, to help them in understanding workplace safety and health conditions and advance workplace safety and health practices for industry. Okay, now the next question, I guess, is kind of two parts. We mentioned it's, it's high hazard industries. What are the designated high hazard industries included in the rule? And you mentioned, you know, more more detailed information that OSHA is going to be requesting. So, you know, what kind of information are employers going to be required to be submitting under the new rule? Sure. Well, the designated high hazard industries are found in Appendix B of Subpart E to the final rule. And these are industries that have a three-year average rate of recordable injuries or TCR rates and BLS injury, survey of injury and illnesses in 27, 2018, and 19 that have at least 3.5 cases per 100, or had a three-year average start rate of at least 2.25 cases per 100 full-time employees, or had a fatality rate in the BLS CFOI of at least 5.7 deaths per 100,000 full-time equivalent employees. And then finally, that they also are included in Appendix A, which is the list of establishments that have 20 to 249 employees um, that currently submit their Form 300A information. So right now, establishments have been required to submit 300A annual summary information to OSHA. Under this new rule, these establishments that fall under the criteria that I just mentioned will be required to submit as well the information off their form 300 and 301. When you think about this rule and, you know, thinking about our audience, you know, those safety professionals out there, what are the most important things, you know, for safety professionals and employers for that matter to know about the injury and illness reporting under this new rule, uh, what's going to change and what their obligations are? Sure. Well, I think the requirements are the most important, obviously. And the best way to find information on that is to go to our OSHA webpage where we have extensive information on the new rule. And then also we have information on the ITA, the injury tracking application, which is the electronic portal for covered establishments to provide their data to OSHA. 
we have information specifically on that page to help establishments understand whether they are covered and then how to submit the data they are required to do so should they be identified in that pool. OSHA believes that the, the data that we're going to be collecting and then ultimately parts of it that we will be planning to publish are going to help workplace safety and health professionals to be fully informed of risks of specific operations, tasks, industries, and that that's in turn is going to help um, those safety and health professionals and consultants have the information necessary to provide sound advice to employers on safety and health practices, as well as to workers on how they can best protect themselves as well. And for employers, OSHA believes that employers will be able to use the published establishment-specific, case-specific injury and illness data to help improve workplace safety and health. For example, they'll be able to compare case-specific injury and illness data at their establishment with that of a comparable establishment and set safety and health goals and benchmarking to establishments they may consider to be comparable to them. It also will help in better understanding loss trends at establishments and their industries. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm curious, you know, how safety professionals can use this information to improve their safety and health management systems, helping them identify trends, you know, common, common hazards, common, you know, injuries and illnesses that workers may be experiencing, and then using that information to better manage those risks and improve their safety and health management system. Yes, well, we, we believe that this data will be helpful. Having establishments have better understanding of what's what's going on within their particular area as it compares to other like-placed like organizations. So I think it's going to be a really great resource, as well as for researchers and even public citizens who are curious about workplace safety and health outcomes at individual workplaces that are reporting into OSHA. It's also going to help us to do more outreach. It'll help us in targeting our outreach and raising awareness of the resources that OSHA has to establishments that may be interested in using them. For instance, our on-site consultation program, which provides free, no-cost assistance to, in particular, establishments in high-hazard, small high-hazard industries, small businesses in high-hazard industries. So this data will help us in being able to provide even, I think, more targeted outreach to elevate awareness of that particular resource in the agency. That's, that's a good point. And I know, I mean, OSHA will do national emphasis programs if they see particular areas where they need to focus. So I imagine this, uh, this kind of information will help, as you noted, uh, OSHA maybe f focus some of those efforts and bring greater attention to certain risks and hazards that are out there. Yes, certainly. I mean, the data also, as I mentioned earlier, will be used to help OSHA advance its ability to conduct its mission-critical enforcement activities by having extensively more detailed information on establishments and what's going on in these high-hazard workplaces. It will help us to identify where we need to be implementing our enforcement activities. But like you point out, too, every enforcement national emphasis program is accompanied by an outreach piece. So we'll also be able to push out awareness about particular hazards in the workplace to those industry establishments as well. Anything else you'd like to add about this new rule? Anything, you know, safety professionals uh, and, and employers uh, should know? Well, I think that the agency is, is pleased to be able to move forward with this rule that we believe will have a great benefit to, um, to OSHA as well as to the regulated community and um, workplace safety and health improvements. That's the bottom line. We want to make sure that people know that their injury tracking application is being upgraded at this time. So I encourage your members to visit our webpage to learn about the specifics of how to submit their data once the system is available for submission of this information on January 2nd. The due date is March the 2nd for covered establishments to turn in their data to OSHA. 
And um, if people have questions, again, I encourage them to go to the OSHA website for the most up-to-date information on resources that we have available to support them. We want this to be as uh, least burdensome as possible on the, the establishments that are covered by it in order to provide advanced worker protection. Right. Yes. Everybody, uh, all our listeners out there want to make sure you uh, mark your calendars for the for those dates in uh, 2024 to make sure you uh, get your submissions in on time. Thank you so much again for for coming on, Leanne. I know this is something that's going to impact, you know, a lot of safety professionals and a lot of employers out there. So I really appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, helping us spread the word about this new rule. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org. We'll see you next time.